AVXL episode 171 was recorded on February 24th, 2022. Morant's Model 40N is so pretty. Headphones for your home theater, a little help with security cameras, a sweet deal on Cali's workstation speakers, CRI versus your eyes, and Sonos does vinyl. All that and so much more. And please, don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Seriously, thank you. To each and every one of you that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this show possible. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. You were uh, highly amused by something you found on Sonos.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was looking through their delectable speakers to see if I could uh, secure some rear channels to experiment with maybe a, a surround sound setup, a true surround sound setup with their wireless offerings. And I came across when looking at the, I want to say it's the Play 5 or just the 5, mm-hmm. I think it's called. The five speaker can be paired with, directly from Sonos, a turntable. And they call it their turntable set. And it says, quote, go from spinning vinyl to streaming music with a tap when you connect the Project T1 Phono SB turntable to five. Hmm. And anyway, it just, uh, it was, <laughs> I didn't realize they were offering a turntable to go with one of their wireless speakers and that just seemed kind of interesting kind of cool it's a bundle they bundle i know nothing they about that stuff. turntable i don't know if that's okay, a good one so or not so it's I not a bad turntable at horrible. all <laughs> it's not a horrible turntable so one of my favorite ways to listen to music is through sonos sonos chains the listening habits of my entire family uh we have a lot of the uh ones out and and it's the five now. You're right. It is. The, it used to be the Model Five. Now it's the five. There may have been an intermediate name in there, because uh, it was like the Model One. Now it's the One speaker. But a pair of ones is a fantastic listening experience. Um, if you're not doing hyper secret critical listening in a perfectly silent environment, they're just nice. It's a nice system. It's a nice setup. So the fives, which is significantly bigger and more expensive speaker, has an analog input on that. And uh, so what ah. you're basically doing is running the output from the Project T1SB, which has a built-in project-designed phono stage, right? Because traditionally, phonographs, vinyl turntables uh, require a phono preamp or an integrated amplifier with a phono input on it. Um, So the nice thing about that Project uh, T1SB is it's got a built-in phono stage, or you can use the line out on it and use your own phono preamp or the phono preamp on your integrated amplifier. Um, So it's a nice $450 uh, turntable. Oh, yeah. I noticed they do sell it separately and in three colors, black, white, and a walnut, a wood tone. That'd be cool if it was actual slab of walnut, though. I think uh, Chris Hynonen chose one of their uh, one of Project's more high-end turntables, like a $600 turntable, as his pick for like a full-on badass audio turntable right. over at Wirecutter. But uh, so the only issue with this is everything inside of the Sonos is digital, 
and to bring in an analog input, whether it's a turntable or a CD player or an output from a projector or whatever it is, to that little 3.5 millimeter input on the back of the 5, um, is that it does analog to digital conversion inside the Sonos box. Now, I think when Audio Science Research tested this on the Sonos amp, the performance of the analog input was way, way below the performance of the the sort of doing a straight digital signal path on that. Um, Got it. You know, the ADC is not designed with the same level of uh, badassery as the digital, uh, the, the the sort of digital stream through the Sonos amp. I assume with I would assume the same thing goes for the five. That said, it's not like you're you have this incredible. Uh, I hate to trash talk vinyl, but you're not going to notice. You know, there's so much noise in vinyl. Period. No matter how good your turntable and your cartridge is, it's not going to be as noticeable as it would be if you're using a digital input on that. But uh, you know, should be fine, uh, especially for casual listening. But. Uh, uh, probably should also mention that if you're looking for a nice entry-level turntable, um, I still have a, a U-Turn Orbit Basic. They sell for like 200 bucks. You can get a built-in phono preamp on that for 270 bucks. Uh, that is a really nice turntable for the money. Uh, not as sophisticated or as fancy as the Project turntables, but considerably less expensive. And if you're just experimenting with vinyl, that U-Turn Orbit Basic is a really nice way to start. So Very cool. Yeah, Marantz just announced uh, an update or a new integrated amplifier, the 40N. Um, it's gorgeous, right? It's just this beautiful sculpted front and the sort of eye of Sauron on the front. Uh, some people call it the porthole design. That's the 40N. It's essentially an integrated amplifier, right? There's a preamp, there's an amplifier, it's got knobs on the front. It's pretty. It is a really pretty design. Bass treble controls, balance controls, all the old school <laughs> knobs on the front of that thing. It's essentially uh, an update of the Model 30, which came out a couple of years ago for about $3,000. But the Marantz 40N adds Ethernet networking, HDMI ARC, uh, coax SPDIF inputs. Um, it's got a USB jack for mass storage. It's got a subwoofer out, which I'm a big fan of. I I love subwoofer outputs on amplifiers. They make everything better. It does have a phono EQ input for turntables. It's got the regular analog inputs that were the kind of the thing about the Model 30. And it's all for $2,500. That's $500 less than the Model 30, uh, which again is all analog inputs. It's a slightly more powerful amplifier than the Model 30 was. Uh, 100 watts into 8 ohm, 200 watts per channel into 4 ohm loads. The Model 40N is 70 watts per channel into an 8 ohm load and 100 watts per channel into a 4 ohm load. So if you have some big, giant, planar magnetic speakers, um, this is probably not the amp for it, but if you're using sort of human speakers that are an 8 or 6 ohm load, like 85 dB uh, efficient or better, these should be fine. This amplifier should drive it just fine. So onboard DAC is an ESS ES9016. They set it up to handle PCM, DC, DSD up to 24 bits, 192 kilohertz and 5.16 megahertz. Uh, I don't really care about DSD, but you might. And 24-bit 192 kilohertz is more than enough for the vast majority of audio sources out there. A lot of places that are writing about this are referring to it as a class AB amplifier uh, versus a class D amplifier. So this has uh, Marantz's HDAM SA3, uh, the hyperdynamic amplifier modules. Um, so I think this is a mixture of like class AB 
feeding class D power amplifiers because the Model 30 has custom uh, Hypex modules uh, as well as the HDAM SA3, the HDAM SA3s. It's kind of hard. I actually sent an email out to the PR people asking for clarification on that because my understanding is both the Model 30 and the Model 40N have uh, essentially custom Hypex modules. And Hypex modules are amazing. They come from a company in the Netherlands. We've talked about them before. They are ridiculous. They offer just ridiculous performance for the money. Um, you know, sign out of anywhere from 95 to 105, depending on how they're implemented, which is well beyond the range of human hearing. They are stupid quiet and stupid powerful. Um, so that's uh, that's all a good thing. Seriously, though, uh, props to Marantz for making a very modern amplifier. You know, that's the biggest difference on that 40 end. Uh, uh, one, I'll say it again, subwoofer outputs. Two, they've got Sound United slash Denon's Heos for streaming, Spotify, Airplay 2, Apple Music. They've got Bluetooth. It'll do Tidal, TuneIn. Uh, there's that USB input. I love integrated amps. This is a nice one. You know, and I got to say they added a lot of nice features well, along with that price drop uh, down to $2,500. Not the cheapest amp. <laughs> no, but, but for stereo uh, and the option for a pre-out with a subwoofer of your choosing. Yeah. And it's got analog inputs if you need them. I mean, for two-channel, this could be like the yeah. ultimate premium bedroom setup or for just personal listening where you don't want a full-sized AVR or something like that and still enjoy it's just, funny and Marantz has that design like you said with that porthole up front beautiful metal finishes in addition to just terrific analog knobs I mean it's a delightful looking unit with lots of cool features and if the the yeah. limitation of it being just a, a solid stereo amplifier isn't going to do it for you or even a 2.1 amplifier with your additional analog and digital inputs it could be the perfect fit we've talked about i hate to call it lifestyle audio because i feel like lifestyle audio is kind of a diss but maybe we'll call it you know high performance pretty <laughs> integrated amplifiers um cambridge audios uh evo 75 and 150 are pretty amazing those are like 2250 for the 75 watt per channel uh, evo 75 and then it jumps up to three grand for the evo 150 which is 150 watts per channel uh, with an epic volume knob i love me some volume knobs uh, <laughs> nad does the right. m10 they're doing the v2 the version 2 of the m10 now that's pretty spendy uh it's two thousand seven hundred fifty dollars that's 100 watts per channel there's no knob but it has a massive screen on it that evo 75 and 150 has a good sized uh, screen on the front of it and the idea is the evo 750 150 the the nad m10 v2 those are all smaller sort of square boxes that are going to fit in you know they're they're basically designed to put a fairly powerful streaming capable amplifier in a place where it can blend in with the tchotchkes People still call them tchotchkes, uh, these sophisticated uh, ah. objects to art in your living room or your bedroom or something like that. I see it almost as much for someone with a digital collection as well, where you would appreciate sure. having that larger display on the front and maybe sacrificing yeah. some of the that classical looks compared to something like what Denon is doing with their new 40N. You can still get a big traditional looking stackable preamp slash amplifier, integrated amplifier. You can get, you know, you can spend as much money as you want. You can get big boxes. You can get massive boxes. I mean, it's also crazy. We talked about it a, a, a while back. Toppings PA5, which is, uh, first oh, yeah. of all, I should say I ordered it from APOS. 
uh, audio, which is an importer that brings stuff over from China. That experience was flawless. Um, the PA5 is not nearly as sophisticated looking, right? It's a very simple box with a volume knob on the front. You know, it's not as pretty as the Evo 75. It's not as pretty as that Marantz 40N, but it's $350 and it has ridiculous measured performance. It It's probably the best, you know, I hate to say bang for the buck, but one of the, it's a phenomenal deal for desktop audio, or even if you're dealing with uh, a set of speakers in your living room, right? 125 watts in the 4 ohm, 85 watts in the 8 ohm. Again, it's not going to drive the most ridiculous speakers out there for what most, but for what most people are using, that's more than enough power. My challenge with that PA5 was they chose to use quarter-inch balanced inputs to match one of their DACs that matches the design aesthetic of the PA5. So, you know, if you don't have that topping DAC that matches it, you've got to find quarter-inch uh, balanced input cables to RCA jacks or solder them yourself. Now, I ended up in Guitar Center getting some cables to make that work, and it works fine uh, with my unbalanced inputs, but man, that's a, you know, I think it's like 105, 110. It's, it's one of the most High, one of the highest performing amplifiers that I've seen measured um, out there. And for 350 bucks, it's phenomenal. It's interesting to see what's coming out of China. Those are some great options, though, whether your budget's closer to the uh, the mid three figures or <laughs> the mid four figures all the way up. Well, there are some terrific options out there. Yeah, I mean, that PA5, it's going to require, you're going to need an external DAC or you need to connect it to your, you know, your your desktop computer or your laptop computer. Um, I've been running it off of a, uh, uh, I set up essentially a Rune endpoint that plugs into that PA5. So I've got Rune running on a, on a, uh, <laughs> I've got Rune running on a uh, Raspberry Pi board into a DAC. Um, and the top thing would PA5. be perfect for that, yeah. That's a good match. It's kind of amazing. Some of the entry-level stuff is getting so, so good. Yeah, shout-out to Marantz and NAD and Cambridge Audio for doing some very attractive gear that's delivering some fairly serious performance. So we like that. You know, it'd be nice if it was a little closer to $500 than $2,000, but <sighs> got to pay for that design aesthetic somehow. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Color rendering index. I love high CRI bulbs. I do. Good. Really do. I'm glad to hear that because <laughs> I am uh, bemoaning the kitchen lighting we have set up currently in the house. Someone installed these LED strips under the counters or under the cabinets, which at first glance look fairly coolish white. But if you right. actually place an object on, within this light and it's bouncing off of the object and into your eyes, Whatever it is, is going to suddenly have a lot of extra red in it. To the point of, we were very confused about what kind of tree we had in the backyard when it looked like a lemon tree outside, but you bring the lemon inside and put it under that light and suddenly, <laughs> it, I swear to God, looked like an orange and vegetables look bizarre. Pretty much everything looks unusual right. with this particular light. And that's where I would go back to the color rendering index of any lighting that you're going to purchase or install for indoor lighting in particular. I first got introduced as kind of CRI when Cree was doing their first um, high quality LED bulbs, right? And I laugh because Cree eventually sold that business and, you know, 
there's now a lot of competitors. Fight makes some good bulbs. Philips makes some good if spendy bulbs. Um, but there's still a ton of LED, and all of which have like 90 plus CRI. But you're talking about, I bet there's those cheap glue-on Amazon uh, LED under-counter lights in there. Is that what it is? Like the, the Or it's the, literally like bulk strip tape lighting, LED lighting. Yeah, with that's R- what I mean. RGB style where... Your ability to produce a good quality white is fairly limited in terms of a white light option. It'll do pure red, pure blue, or pure green really nicely, or some, I say, artistic mix of those three. But in terms of actually producing something that's good for looking at objects accurately, as would be the case, like, say, with sunlight streaming in or when you're outside looking at an object, it is highly important to have a light that can actually give you the reflection to give you an accurate representation of what it is you're actually looking at and like you mentioned too uh cri is something you should look for on your lighting products especially for indoor use Mm -hmm. and you want a number that is generally at least 90 or higher there are many good brands out there but when you're looking through the specs make sure that's prominently displayed on there if it isn't mentioned chances are it is not going to produce a quality color representation to you or anyone else when that light is actually used even the flashlight i like to use the most around the house which is from uh, manker light they actually have uh, one of my favorite little single double a battery lights they make has a neutral mm-hmm. white LED option that they claim is greater than 95 CRI. And the scale goes from 0 to 100. Generally, your better lights are 90 plus, and anything below that is, it is noticeable in terms of the quality of how color is represented to us as you look at things right. under that light. And just be aware that, yeah, not all strip lighting is created equal, and if you're going to do some decorative lighting, that's one thing. But if you're looking for lighting, especially in a kitchen environment where the ability to see the color of something accurately is <laughs> kind of critical, or you're just wondering if things are spoiled or dyed a weird right. color or very unnatural, it's just you want good lighting. And make sure if you are going to do anything like that to check that spec before you actually pull the trigger on it and buy. I mean, we should point out this is this also applies, especially in a home theater environment, you know, one of the reasons you might be spending more if, if, if you're, you know, if you're playing around with backlighting that works, you know, to create that halo of light around your screen. So the transition from the incredibly dark room to the television is less painful on your eyes. If you have a really squirrely source of light sitting there behind your television, it's going to impact how things look, right? If the, you know, if the, if the, if it is a low CRI source of light. Let alone when you're dealing with painted walls or colored walls of any kind bias lighting then becomes almost a it's wishful thinking really unless you're dealing with (laughs) paint on the wall or a wall that is already a neutral gray a d say a d65 gray then bias lighting is just simply amplifying or not what the wall color itself is in terms of the light reflected so I, i love bias lighting it has its place but I'm not, unless you're dealing with it in a, uh, almost like a professional environment, it's sure. more for artistic than it is anything else. Let alone like today, we're looking at systems like Philips Ambilight that they integrate into the right. TVs in addition to the various products out there now that can do that, that screen matching color that gives you just that added effect, either for your projection or your television. It, anyway, 
I just want to yeah. say that, yeah, uh, even for flashlights or your indoor lighting, the color rendering index is one of those yeah. small things you really want to consider before you go buying a dozen of these lights to install in a home or something <laughs> like that, or five dozen. Uh, it's just one to have a, a higher than yeah. not CRI. <laughs> and it's not, we should also point out that the color rendering index applies whether you're talking about a daylight bulb, which measures at, at 5,000 Kelvin, or a soft white bulb that measures at like 2,700 Kelvin. Um, you can have accurate color even if you have a very warm light or a very cool light, right? That daylight 5,000 K bulb, that's a very cool light. Um, you know, uh, as you get older, you might find that the the soft, warm bulbs are much more aesthetically pleasing, especially when you're looking in a mirror. Uh, but either one of those can have a high CRI, even though they look, the light under them look radically different. Most people put cool light bulbs, those daylight bulbs, you know, in a kitchen or in a workshop. But any of those can have a quality or a low quality CRI. So... Indeed. CRI above 95. Look for it. If it's if there's no CRI on the bulb package, it probably does not have a good color rendering index rule of thumb. <laughs> True that. Let's talk about uh, a really good deal on powered monitors or workstation monitors or desktop speakers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Cali Audio. They did an update to their LP6, a.k.a. their Project Lone Pine speakers. I guess they did it for the, the LP8, too. So the LP6 is a powered monitor. That means it's got built-in amplification uh, with a 6.5-inch midwoofer and a 1-inch dome tweeter. Those are uh, $119 right now, down from $149. That's a 20% discount uh, at Guitar Center and other places. They have excellent reviews. They're fairly flat. They measure fairly flat, like plus or minus 3 dB from 47 hertz up to 21,000 hertz. They've got a, a dip uh, around, I want to say, 800 hertz, but most reviewers can't really hear it. Um, they drop off below 50 hertz like most speakers this size. Uh, front-ported, which I like because it makes them easier to place or less sensitive to positioning, especially near a wall. Um, they take an, uh, an analog input, balanced XLR or TRS inputs, or an unbalanced RCA input. So essentially you would plug, like, you know, your uh, headphone output or from your... Um, computer or you could use for example the uh, output from the JDS Labs Element 3 I've got here on my desktop or you could use the output from a DAC you know you would run from your desktop to a DAC to these speakers the LP6s it's like 40 watts to the tweeter and, and 40 watts to the midwoofer uh, I think the LP8 does 60 watts to the midwoofer so these have been replaced by the LP6 V2 which they say there's improvements in the noise floor and the output level and the frequency response and the distortion they had a nice review of those up on Aaron's audio corner. These are, are what we call like near field monitors. Uh, they're designed, the, the ideal recommended listening distance is 0.8 to 2.2 meters, which is essentially, you know, pretty close to your head. They're claiming, uh, yeah, I, you know, the THD on these is not super impressive, like less than 3% from 80 hertz to 1.7 hertz, less than 2% above 1.7 hertz. But from what I've heard, nobody's heard any audible hiss on these. I'm actually going to pick up a pair of these from Guitar Center because they got some nearby me. Because it's a fantastic deal for a powered monitor. And uh, if you've been looking for something to use in your desktop or in a fairly small room, this is a pretty fantastic deal. Nice. So, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm kind of curious. I'm going to reach out to the company, see if I can hear what they did or if they... Because the, the 
the measurements they're giving for the on the website for the uh, the version two look like the measurements for the version one, and the the V twos are selling for one hundred ninety nine dollars now. So that's a pretty significant jump up, like we've seen for a lot of inexpensive speakers uh, and other audio products. Definitely worth keeping an eye out for. They're claiming some decent lower frequency response too, although it, uh, I'd be curious at what volume, but still, yeah, above average. And considering it's a desktop monitor, uh, two-way at best. Uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with a two-way desktop monitor. Not at all. <laughs> Although, what do you think about the blue LED on the front of it? <laughs> that's my only concern. You know, that's what tape is for. Aaron's Audio Corner uses a Clipple measuring device, and I think they got... 190, 80, 70, 60, 50. They had, it was pretty solid down to 50 hertz. I think they were listening, or the levels they recorded. You know, this was like for the basic testing, this was down, yeah, 20, 30, 40, 50. Basically drops off a cliff after 50 hertz, um, a little below 50 hertz. But that was pretty clean. And I think when he started jamming the volume up to painful levels, yeah, even at 96 dB, it was pretty flat. Okay. Now you've got me digging through there. I did not mean to. S. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, look, they're marketed for Aaron's Audio Corner calls it a near midfield speaker, right? So a half meter to two and a half meters. This is for the V2. From 76 decibels to 96 decibels at one meter, the lower bass and mid-range. Linearity decreases by about one dB. I think 96 dB at one meter is going to be painfully high. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, a pair of speakers, he says, would put you about 102 dB with respectable linearity. You don't want to be 12 feet away from these. You know, at three feet, you know, six feet, you're going to get plenty of volume. Perfect. 12, 15 feet, it's, it's not going to work out as well. But uh, yeah, and also if you've never, if you want to learn a lot about speakers and if you want to nerd out on speakers and speaker testing, uh, Aaron'sAudioCorner.com or, or search for Aaron's Audio on YouTube. Dude is in it for the love of high quality performance speakers. <laughs> I think for the money though, uh, the performance yeah. looks solid and at, the, yeah. at that price, especially considering what else is out there in terms of your stereo monitor offerings, you can spend all you want. <laughs> yes, you can. And Kali's giving you a good entry much. point with yeah. decent performance, and that's key. At, I think at least until the at least until these run out. <laughs> True. Uh, <yeah>. Back <laughs> order. Know, then forever. it's even at even at two hundred dollars a speaker. That's a pretty good deal. Um, you know, you can spend a lot more money on on near field monitors if you want to. But this is pretty amazing performance for the money. Speaking of money, a quick shout out to our patrons: uh, Patreon.com/slash/AVXL. Uh, all of our patrons, we appreciate what you do for us because you make it possible for us to make the time to produce this for you, which uh, is a nice little quid pro quo. <laughs> that sounds Aww. rude when I say it that way. But seriously, um, thanks to each and every one of our patrons. Patreon.com slash AVXL. You make this show possible with your monthly, monthly contributions. Thank you. We appreciate that. Indeed. We should follow up. We got a couple kind of random texts and emails about screen cleaning and wipes and alcohol. And, and I should point out, you know, but my alcohol, uh, Rob, why are you avoiding chemicals? What's wrong with chemicals? Is, are, you, are you worried about screen coatings? We should point out one. You, there's basically like no window cleaner. Do not use Windex on your monitor, please. 
Uh, no. <laughs> please do not use Windex on your monitor. But you, you were talking about essentially avoiding any and all chemicals if possible. Um, Unless absolutely you know. necessary. And like you mentioned, yeah. if if the damage done requires using something like diluted alcohol, rubbing alcohol, my only concern is just the purity of whatever it is you're wiping on there. Like yeah. I mentioned the cans of compressed gas that people use as dusters. They've now started adding in petrochemicals, basically, to, to make it bitter tasting so people don't huff <laughs> so people the stuff. <laughs> but at the same point, you really don't want to use that on any kind of pristine, especially I'm thinking like camera right. optics, that can leave a film that you would then have to either wipe off or it'll just, you know, make the situation yeah. worse, so to speak. And I'll apply that directly then to TV screens as well. And generally, for just things like dust, fingerprints, and smudges, a microfiber is all you need. And it really right. shouldn't require anything. Clean. Uh, yes, the clean microfiber, as we hopefully, hopefully ingrained into everyone last week. How critical. <laughs> Don't wipe grit across <laughs> your screen. And yeah. even depending on the quality of the surface, if it's something super shiny, I find that even if you've washed a microfiber in the regular laundry and use something like a dryer sheet that helps eliminate static cling, those can often leave kind of a film on a microfiber right. that can transfer to other things. Although it depends on the object and how much of a concern that might be. But just realize sometimes it's better to air dry your microfibers rather than run them through the dryer with a dryer sheet uh, just anyway yeah. yeah if you've got kids um if you had you know uh, i i think that the two worst things i've ever seen is is a kid managed to smear peanut butter on somebody's uh you know this was years ago so it was a fairly spendy 55 inch panel and uh it had dried before anybody found it like you know peanut butter and other oily things might call for that that diluted you know the 90 percent rubbing alcohol not rubbing alcohol excuse me um never rubbing alcohol never the stuff with the minty flavor to it well that's um, what isopropyl i was thinking alcohol of. yes yeah pure isopropyl should be fine it diluted yeah. properly the least amount you can get away with using in terms of your dilution. If you don't have something nasty on your screen, don't use chemicals if you don't have to, because it would be really awkward if you damaged it or if you rubbed some coating off of it, or worse yet, you rub some coating off of it unequally. You know, hopefully there are no children or drunken teenagers or raging collegiate friends or, you know, staggeringly irritating eaters that have flung food i've also seen that like somebody got barbecue sauce in their monitor once <laughs> well pc monitors and at-home use that can occasionally that's probably this was in a living room man this oh. wasn't a desktop monitor <laughs> oh anywho I... there was a party football celebrations but uh Hey, use whatever you want, and there's so many different pre-wipes out there. Uh, and just because a wipe has the name of a, quote, famous optics company, unquote, on it, doesn't actually mean uh, that optics company still exists in any meaningful fashion. But, uh, you know, just gentle, Indeed. if you can. Indeed. Avoid the chemicals. And I'm thinking, too, as uh, any new display... Th that second you take the plastic off or you pull that, that protective coating off, be it your mobile device or a brand new TV, it will never look that good again unless you <laughs> have a little care and understanding of what to do and not to do to your screen. And to keep it looking that, that just unsealed good, 
that's where you really want to avoid as much as possible. Less is better. And if a clean microfiber is doing the job, yeah. Right. No need to add additional products to it. <laughs> Keep it simple. Children, you're moving to the country. <laughs> a pair of heads just snapped over in my general direction. All right. We got an email from Daniel who, who's looking for help with headphones in his home theater. He says, hey, guys. Patreon supporter Daniel here with another question. My new job has a rotation shift every six months, one of which is a graveyard shift. Our sympathies. I'm looking for headphones that will allow me to enjoy my home theater space without bothering everyone sleeping. I'm open to wireless or wired that'll work with my Rance SR6011. He also adds, I was curious if I have any surround options. I remember some movies coming out with DTSX headphones as an audio track. Is that even a thing anymore? I want comfort as a high priority as my home theater is my main screen, so it gets used for several hours watching shows and movies. My budget is $250 to $500, so if you have a few recommendations, I would appreciate that. Oh, and one more question. Do you think I could split the headphone source to feed my butt kicker amp so I can get some tactile feedback while I'm watching movies? Thanks again for your help and great show, Daniel. Well, thank you, Daniel. And uh, thank you for being a Patreon, patreon.com slash AVXL. One, that's a really pretty AVR. Uh, And two, generally speaking, surround sound options on headphones tend to disappoint uh, compared to real speakers in a room, especially if you're used to real speakers in a room. If you have a 5.1, 7.1, 7.1.4, whatever, right? If If you have four overhead Atmos speakers and, you know, rear channels no matter how good that headphone experience is, it's still not going to sound as good as having legit speakers behind you and above you. That said, try these things for yourself and decide for yourself if you have access to them. You have three basic options. One, there's a headphone jack on the front of the AVR, so you could use some quality wired closed back headphones and an extension cable. The nice thing about that headphone jack on your Marantz, quote from the manual, when the headphones are plugged into this jack, audio will no longer be output from the connected speakers or from the pre-out connectors, which means you are highly unlikely to wake up your entire family. Um, <laughs> this is a good thing at 4 a.m. on that swing shift. Um, this is our client, kind of our classic list of uh, headphones with one modification. Sony MDR7506s. They are a fantastic entry-level headphone for 100 bucks, 90 bucks, depending on where you buy them. Monoprices, Monolith M565C, fantastic deal. It's a planar magnetic headphone for 200 bucks. If you have the money, $500 will get you Dan Clark Audio's Aon RT, which is kind of, or you could buy a set of, uh, you know, first generation Aons for like three to $500, depending on where you're shopping around. But the Aon RT has a little bit more bass than the original uh, Dan Clark Audio Aons. Those are a fantastic planar magnetic headphone for $500 with some, you know, pretty healthy bass response. Um, Not quite up to the Harman curve, maybe, but pretty solid bass uh without being overwhelming those are a fantastic headphone nice options yeah those, any of those will be a fantastic experience uh option two high quality bluetooth headphones and use the bluetooth built into your Marantz. um so i have to eq them because otherwise they have too much bass out of the box uh, they have a ridiculous amount of bass out of the box but sony's wh 1000 xm4s i picked those up refurbished on ebay Having driven several thousand miles cross-country and flown a few times with those, they have fantastic uh, noise reduction. They are also fantastic Bluetooth headphones. In theory, those are $350 new. I think I paid $235 for those refurbished off eBay. 
Uh, Lauren Dragon over at the Wire Cutter has really good things to say about Jabra's Elite 85H. They're about $220 these days, up from $150. You know, you could shop around and see what is available on those. But like a lot of things, prices have gone up in the last year. But those are two very, very good options for Bluetooth listening. And your third option... I think you could get creative and split the audio out from the headphone jack on your Marantz and kind of run it to a maybe a headphone amplifier or a preamp that splits it to the butt kicker. But man, I would have to experiment with that. So it gives me an excuse to buy a uh, butt kicker, which technically there's a better name for the butt kicker, um, a tactile transducer. Uh, and if you're listening to this and kind of staring at the screen or whatever you're listening on. Uh, Butt Kicker was one of the first ones. They called a haptic transducer now, but essentially imagine a subwoofer and remove the cone and the surround and leave yourself kind of with the motor uh, that moves the cone back and forth. And you attach, you basically bolt that to the furniture, your your easy chair, your couch, whatever it is that's in front of your home theater screen. And you move the couch instead of moving air. And you get the, the low frequency uh, experience without having a lot of, um, well, you know, incredibly noticeable noise. <laughs> Gives you the rumble it's a little butt, less... Yeah, you know, the couch shakes instead of the entire room, which can make life a lot easier if you're in an apartment or if everybody in your house is sleeping. Totally. I've never actually set one of those up before, but I would assume they would use something like one of the subwoofer outputs from an AVR. Yes. And then they, in a lot of subwoofers, and I haven't looked at the Marantz SR6011, but they usually have two. <laughs> So you could steal well, one of those. I don't know. I, I'm just guessing. But there might be a different way of doing it rather than trying to use a split connection out of the headphone jack or something like that. Yeah. Well, if you use the headphone jack on the AVR, then it cuts off all the other audio outputs, which is a good thing when it's 4 right. a.m. I've never really played around with trying to use, you know, zone one, zone two speaker outputs or, you know, you don't want to be like at three in the morning, you've just gotten home from a long shift and you don't want to be yanking cables out of the back of your AVR so you can have the subwoofer, but not the, (laughs) you know, I'm going to use the preamp outputs to a headphone amplifier, but I still want the subwoofer output. You know what I mean? it, It gets, the reason I thought you'd want to run something from the headphone jack is just to have it be less painful. Um, you'd have to tweak with the configuration on that. The The thing about the transducers, I guess, would be the, the name for them, uh, if you're not going to call them a butt kicker. Most of them require an external amplifier. So uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge, and uh, I'll see what I can do for you. <laughs> I've also wanted to play around with one of those transducers for a long time. So Me too. I like that they're calling them haptics now. It makes me feel very space age. Bass shakers. Clark Synthesis calls them bass shakers. Uh, Dayton Audio calls them uh, sound exciter transducers. Um, There's a lot of options out there. Digging through a couple of those just to see how they're typically connected (laughs) to a home theater setup. Because that's something also you would want switchable. Maybe you don't want it on all the time. You just want it for movie excitement. Maybe not when you're watching regular TV or who knows, but still. In most cases, right, it's the butt kickers they've got. They actually sell, they call them uh, kinetic furniture isolators, which are essentially big fat rubber feet to go under your furniture. But 
you know, there's this sort of soup can kind of, it looks like, it looks like the cylinder off a motorcycle engine with big fins on it. Right. Uh, and then it's got a, you know, a red and a black positive and negative, uh, connection, which goes to an external amplifier. That's the way most of them are set up. We'll dig through. It's been a while since we've talked about these. I mean, literally, I think since before the beginning of this show, but it's, it's interesting to see how many different options there are out there, uh, from butt kicker and other companies. We'll get back to you on this. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that hopefully gives you a bunch of options. Jimmy sent in another email to ask at AVXL.com. He said, hey, fellas, I'm involved with a local car club that puts on a weekly cruise in from 4 to 8 p.m. at this location. He had a kind of an overhead picture, like a drone picture. Um, and this is a little far out of our wheelhouse, but... There's thousands of you listening, so I thought maybe you'd be able to help us out with this one. He says, our current music sound setup is pretty weak and not the most reliable, so I'm looking for recommendations that are portable, possibly wireless. He's got a budget of under 1000 Our current setup location, he marked it in red. So there's, essentially there's a grid of cars, and like 25, 30 feet from the grid of cars is uh, where the, they run uh, some big speakers. And he says, it can only be heard about three rows away with the volume cranked, which means the folks closer to the sound complain about it being too loud. So I'm looking to have two or more speakers spread apart uh, further so volume could be at a moderate level and heard by more attendees. He says, our JBL party box is a good solution. Maybe the 310 or the 110. Also suggestions for the best speaker placement or configuration would be appreciated. Thanks much, Jimmy. And if you look at this, you know, I'm looking at this picture and it's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty-four, maybe fifteen cars wide and five cars deep. So it's probably like a hundred by seventy-five feet or a hundred by a hundred feet. It's a big chunk of greenery with a bunch of cars parked on it. And you know, the problem is is when you put like a set of monitors like you would pick up jbl makes them bose makes them um, lots of companies make them you know there's always a set of them on sale on craigslist or at guitar center used you have a couple stands with a couple power big monitors on the top and they're fine you know if you're 30 or 40 feet from them or 20 feet from them um, if you turn them up loud enough so people 50 or 75 feet from you can hear them power monitors they tend to overwhelm everybody in the front row and everybody in the back row can't hear them so this is a challenging audio environment and the way they do this in an airport or in an office building or at a stadium is they have dozens of speakers uh, spread out and each speaker you know covers a fairly small area uh, and, and that's how they managed to do this. And that requires a lot of money <laughs> and a lot of cable or a lot of wiring. Bluetooth speakers would be great, like the ones you're talking about, except you can't link lots of them. You can if you have Ultimate Ears. Ultimate Ears is interesting. They, they have a, a mode they call Party Up, and I don't know if anybody else does this, but you can use their Boom app, and then you can connect as many Boom, Boom 2, Boom 3, Mega Boom, Mega Boom 3, or Hyper Boom speakers together like literally i think they've tested 150 of these synced together the bluetooth range on those i don't know if it kind of creates a point-to-point network or if they all have to be in range to the central phone but it would be one way of doing that you can maybe have you know the person with the phone controlling the audio in the middle of the car things and spread four or five or six of these out there and of course those are portable they're you know wired people can adjust the volume up and down if they like it or not Doing a Sonos-style Wi-Fi-based audio would work better over the distances you're trying to cover than you need 
you know, powered sources. You need a portable Wi-Fi network, which is a huge pain. Part of me is like, you know, what you really need is to figure out if you could do a, a, a legit low-powered FM transmitter that everybody in the car could turn the car on and run the car speakers. Uh, that would be really cool. Radios in there. I would like that. Um, if it's not an issue of having the cars, like, with their accessories on right. and, and draining batteries that way, although the radio itself wouldn't take much, that would just be a cool way to distribute audios with an FM transmitter yeah. to the vehicles at a car event, which would be pretty cool. I'm curious, though, since the portability of something like those JBL party box speakers, I'm wondering if you can basically send signals out to multiple units simultaneously or if they do yeah. have a link feature. Most of them usually do, and I think that would be great, although you're talking, you know, you'd probably need a few of them at $550 a pop. Still... <laughs> Still, you get the true wireless, rechargeable battery. should give you plenty of battery life for a day of use, according to their specs anyway. I know Ultimate Ears can do a whole, can link together a whole bunch of uh, speakers. And that's what's kind of interesting for me is, like, literally, I think they've had 150 of them going at once. Um, you know, those party boxes, if you can get the party boxes, you know, if you can kind of put two or three of them in the middle of the cars, you know, next to people who maybe won't find it so annoying, uh, that would work. But, ah, uh, TWS mode capabilities and restrictions. You can connect two of the same party box models by pressing and holding blah, 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 blah. It's possible to pair two different models together using a wired connection. There you go. Hmm. So there are some connectivity options, but it looks like you're limited like stereo. To yeah. Yeah. I've seen other brands from Sony and LG offer on their on their more portable devices where you can link up many of them, uh, dozens yeah. even. And that, though, would be a little more ridiculous in terms of... I knew Ultimate Ears could do that, but I hadn't seen any other Bluetooth speakers that would do that. But Well... So, we should also point out FM transmitters, which I couldn't believe they actually sell FM transmitters on Amazon, which I... Heck yeah! Know, I, I, <laughs> is this one of those things where it's legal to buy them but not legal to use them? Uh, oh, who knows? FCC.gov slash media slash radio slash low dash power dash radio dash general dash information uh, is the place to go to learn about low power FM and, and where you can legally and how you can legally set it up. That would be an easy way to get, you know, any and all of the car owners who wanted to, you know, play the music. Uh, they could all tune into the same FM station. But there are legit federal legal issues around low-power FM and how you use it. So read up on that before you get your credit card out and go to Amazon. Um, but if you've got a way of doing this, uh, email us, askatvxl.com. For me, like the Ultimate Years thing is an interesting way to do it. I, I wish the Wonder Boom, which is their little kind of grapefruit-sized speaker, was capable of doing party-up mode because those are inexpensive, especially if you buy them refurbished, and they sound alarmingly good uh, for something that is small and colorful and portable the way they are. So let us know. Um, you got some uh, some updated security camera help for everybody out there. <laughs> yes. Mr. Aaron. Well, it's just going back to stuff I love watching. I found a YouTube channel called The Hookup, and it's become my favorite place to compare. <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> it's The Hookup, baby. 
This gentleman uh, has created a great place just to compare new consumer grades, security cameras, and other consumer electronics, but he does a really good job with security cameras, and his latest review covered some of the brand new wireless cameras out there. If you are considering adding one of these to your environment, be it a home or business or whatever, do take a look at that video. It had some surprising conclusions at the end, and I am currently lusting after a particular Pan tilt zoom camera from the good folks at Samsung, aka Hanwha Security. They have a XNP 6400RW that's been out for a couple of years now, but this thing features a 40x optical lens. That's really what I want it for. This is for covering a large piece of land, uh, ideally, and to be able to have pan tilt zoom so you can actually move around and get it right where you need it to look at. It even has a built in wiper. And probably my favorite thing is it has some built-in AI to handle its object detection. So it is better at identifying when a vehicle or a person is in the scene and making sure it records then. And maybe not so much when it's just a tree branch waving or something, in our case, birds. We have lots of seagulls around and they're great at triggering cameras in terms of uh, motion detection. And if I could just throw down real quick, uh, some tips for security cameras if you plan on doing this. One, check out the hookup. That's a good website for consumer-grade security cameras, period. But if you're planning on doing this for your home and you want simple setup, hardwired is awesome. And I prefer it whenever possible. You're using generally an Ethernet cable, which you can terminate yourself or buy the length of run you need and you can deliver power over that ethernet cable to the camera for a true one wire solution. They call it power over ethernet or PoE. Now, if you're doing longer runs like beyond 100 feet or so, or you're using larger cameras like that Samsung PTZ I just mentioned, you wanna look for something to power that that's called PoE plus or PoE plus plus. Just check the specs of your camera first to make sure that you're getting proper power to that device so it operates flawlessly. Now, I mentioned too on that particular Samsung PTZ and other cameras in this class, they are incorporating more so AI for that built-in car and person detection in particular. And that just makes it great for saving on the amount of recording you're gonna be doing. Uh, you're generally not recording on any of these cameras 24 seven. The camera is always watching, but it only actually records when it detects motion. And it's ideal if the camera has enough brains to where it can say, hey, I'm gonna ignore that waving tree and make sure that when a car or a person walks by, yes, <laughs> that it gets it. Sometimes I like looking at the wildlife, but in a, in a busy well, if environment, you're getting, it may not be what you're looking yeah. for. I, somebody I know set up a camera and it took them a while to, to get it sorted, but I think they, they were getting text messages or email messages every time a squirrel ran through the, the frame, which was every three minutes where it was located. That, that is a familiar That issue. would be frustrating. <laughs> it can be quite the painful. Also, too, if you're going to do your own setup and you're going to go with something like a digital POE camera... You need a place to store that video. Uh, most modern PoE cameras have a SD card slot for adding it directly to the camera itself. But generally, people are using a NAS box or some sort of a storage system to keep their recordings for as long as need be. Synology, I'll always go back to because their NAS boxes are quite nice. And they do, on just about every model I've looked at, 
provide camera support for digital cameras. You get two usually included with every one of their NAS boxes. And their viewing software and man video management software is quite nice. It's convenient, and if you already have that NAS box, it's great. But also, every modern PoE camera I look at can also save that video to pretty much any local network device, uh, be it a regular NAS box that's not a Synology, or even an FTP server, or however you want. They have options in there under, where should I put this video? And you can go to town that way. I really appreciate having Synology with the two camera support built right in. That's sometimes all people need, and then they don't have any additional monthly fees beyond just the, the hardware and installation. And working with Ethernet, it's not terribly difficult to terminate, and you can usually buy the runs however long you need them already pre-terminated for you, so you don't even have to bother with that. But if you're doing any kind of remodeling or you're installing and you can go wired, always do it. Because then you're not dealing with recharging anything. You get consistent right. power, generally better performance, I find. And overall, the experience can just be wonderful. And yeah, that, that Samsung 6400RW I'm eyeballing is about a $2,500 camera, namely because of features like the AI system built into it and a 40X lens, optical magnification is pretty extreme for wow. a camera like that. Generally, you're talking anywhere from 12 to 20x is about typical. 1080p, people might be poo-pooing that camera because of that resolution. I find that with PTZ cameras, especially ones that can do built-in tracking, the resolution, it, it would be nice to have 4K, no doubt, but having right. high optical magnification really kind of makes up for that because the damn camera can zoom in on you know objects out two, three, four hundred feet easily and, and be able to read a license plate or do whatever. That 40X lens will probably read out to you know 600 feet. You could read a license plate, no problem. <laughs> uh, probably further than that. Anyway, there's lots of good options out there. And yeah, check out the hookup. That guy does a lot of good reviews of different consumer-grade products, and uh, including the cameras. The cameras are what hooked me. But he does other stuff too. Yeah. Good info presented properly in a nice format. Nothing wrong with that. No. If you got a question for us, email ask at avxcel.com or you can tweet at Robert Heron at Patrick Norton or at avxcel. If you're into a hashtag kind of situation, hashtag askavxcel works just fine. And uh, as always, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the show. We enjoy making it for you. And if you can hear my husky whining in the background, I apologize. She's uh, very chatty today. <laughs> One more time. Thanks to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.